This is from the life of Elijah. This is uh, 1 Kings chapter uh, 19, verse 11 through 14. And the Lord said to Elijah, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And a great and powerful wind tore the the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there came an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a gentle whisper. And when he heard it, Elijah pulled his cloak over his face and went and stood at the mouth of the cave. And a voice said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. We started our series on listening to God six weeks ago with the story of Los Angeles businessman uh, Robert McFarlane, who is uh, on his way to work and then decides he's just going to ditch it all, give up the business, and and just get as far away from uh, the city as he can get, until he is interrupted by an audible voice from God that invites him to pull over. And if you'll remember the story, he pulls over, and with God's help, he successfully navigates 23 transactions that keeps the family business together, and his life is turned around. Now, the fact of the matter is that in the Bible and in life, God often speaks in those kind of audible ways, like a voice to Abraham, or the burning bush speaking uh, to Moses, an angel to Mary, or the voice to Paul on the road to Damascus. But in my experience, likely is not. God is not going to be in the great wind, the earthquake, or the fire. But often God will communicate with us in what the scripture called a gentle whisper. And so in that small and whispering voice when God speaks to us, that is a challenge. And I think sometimes we want to yell up at God and say, hey, speak louder. But I'm here to tell you this morning that I believe one of God's responses to that request is, Why don't you move closer? And I want to share with you this morning kind of my own practice and thoughts about how we move closer to God and get in a better position to hear the voice of God in our life. And I'm going to put it in the form of what I call a cycle, but that makes it seem too regimented. Sometimes many of these things are all going off, uh, going on at one time and some going off, I suppose. But what I want to do is break it down for you, and so I'm going to do it in sort of a linear fashion. And uh, in my own way of moving closer to God involves, first of all, what I'd call just a life that's lived in preparation to hear God's voice. And as we mentioned several weeks ago, uh, listening to God is going to be more a matter of the heart than the head. It's going to be more a matter of our attitude than any particular technique. And so we must always uh, watch our motivation. Do we desire to love God more? Do we desire to be in a deeper relationship with God's people, with God, and with the world that God so loved and created? And so it kind of starts with our motivation. But also it continues by just examining where we are with what God has already told us to do. Are we obeying the things that we know God has already asked of us? As one, uh, uh, one person, Carl George, put it, why would God want to give us any more to disobey? If we're already not doing what God has asked, why put more on top of that? And so, um, as Dallas Willard once commented and said that uh, the 12 steps of AA are a wonderful method for discipleship, uh, the fourth step, some of you may be aware, is uh, 
performing that a fearless moral inventory. And, and I think as part of my preparation to hear from God, I, I need to always be about looking at my life and, and seeing if I'm living as best as I can in accordance with what God has asked me. Now, this is not a call for perfection or sinlessness. It's a matter of getting our attitude and heart turned right toward God. And with that preparation and um, going on, then I actually turn to a phase that I call seeking from God. And, and that is I'll take before God the particular issue that is on my mind or heart, the area from which I desperately want God's um, guidance. And I'm uh, encouraged by the scriptures in this. In the letter of James, uh, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, all they have to do is ask God and God will give it. A little bit later, uh, James talks about the problems people have between each other and says, you know, you have these problems because you don't have what it is, you know, you want. And you don't have that because you don't ask God. And then we, I think he's in perfect uh, biblical alignment because if you go back to King Solomon, you'll remember that God uh, said to Solomon, ask me for anything that you want. And Solomon asked for wisdom to rule well and to guide the people and, and a request for guidance and wisdom, I think, is almost irresistible to God. And God wants to give that sort of guidance. And so what I'll do is put the, the issue before God. And as one, as one Christian leader puts it, I'll say to God, you know, here it is. Speak to me through the scripture, through circumstances, through uh, uh, leadings, through other people, through what I might see on TV or hear over the airwaves. I, I'm open. I speak to me however you want to speak. Now, my own practice is having made that request, I don't go into six hours of silence to try to hear. And, and, and focus time is, is always, I think, appropriate. But I usually find that God will often communicate with me through the back door. So if I go back to my day job and I go, having made this request of God, I move forward with my, with my life, but, but keeping my eyes and ears open, I find that God will often sneak up and give me the revelation uh, for which I am I'm looking. And so it, it starts, in, in my mind, with just that living your life with your heart toward loving God, loving others, trying to be obedient to God, putting the request out there before God, and then, then you have to be uh, able to start receiving the guidance God wants to give you. So it's a matter of sort of turning the spiritual radio on or putting up the, the spiritual antennas. And, and so I start looking and listening and when I think I've received something from God, that's not the end of the matter. As I mentioned to you last week, oftentimes I found it helpful to say, God, if this is really what you're saying or are asking or requesting, uh, would you confirm that for me? And I'll ask for three uh, independent confirmations uh, if I'm especially unsure that just out of the blue somebody might say something to me that will confirm what God is is saying. But another thing I'm going to do is what the Bible says. When the Bible invites us to test the spirits, when you think you're hearing something from God, put that to a test. And some of the ways that I will test what I think God is saying to me is the first thing I'm going to ask is, how does this fit with the Bible? Does it contradict uh, clearly what's in the Bible? Does it go along clearly with what's in the Bible? Now, recognizing what I told you a couple weeks ago, that sometimes there are biblical principles like keeping the Sabbath and loving your neighbor that will clash on occasion. But for the most part, how does it, how does it stack up with the Bible? Uh, the, another thing is, how, does it sound like Jesus' voice? Now, I don't want to leave this to my imagination. And so I think it's, it's important that you're studying the Gospels enough that you would recognize Jesus' voice if you heard it. 
You have to be enough in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John that, that, that you kind of get the character, the quality, the tone of Jesus' voice. So if you get an answer, you can kind of say, well, does that, does that feel, does that seem like something Jesus would be directing me in this uh, situation? Then a third test, I, I try to speculate, what would the fruits be if I actually lived out this answer? What would it do for me, for neighbors, for the world? What kind of difference would it make? And so I put it up um, against these tests. Now, I have to tell you, on, on a number of occasions, I don't get anything clear. And uh, so then, if you're not getting any sort of guidance or answer at all, a couple of things I'd suggest are, are kind of going back and just saying, all right, God, is there, I'm, I'm having difficulty hearing. Is there something in me that might uh, block me from hearing you? Would, would you reveal that to me if there's uh, some, some way I need to kind of retune to hear uh, and if you don't get redirected, then there, it is a possibility. Uh, remembering that what God desires are grown-up children in Christ who can know what to do when it is time to do it. God may be saying, I don't have a clear will on this. And you can go a number of ways and still be within my will. Dallas Willard calls that the back, back, God's backyard metaphor. Uh, when we first moved to San Antonio, our youngest was three years old. And we had a big backyard, and in the backyard we had a sandbox, uh, a, a tiny little uh, pool, a wading pool, you know, a little child's pool, water about this deep in it. Uh, we had a, a little tight basketball goal and a swing set combination fort. And then we had a dog and even at one point a duck out there running around. And, and, and when my youngster was out there, I didn't have a specific will that he'd be on playing in a particular uh, one of these toys. Um, I probably would have preferred the basketball goal, but he was only three. Um, but it was important to me that he be in the backyard. And so sometimes God says, you know, you can you know, move to Norfolk or, or stay in San Antonio, and either way, you are in my will. And that may be part of God's answer to you. May just may just be a backyard issue. Um, I don't know, but I want you to consider that possibility. And then having received what you think is guidance from God, then comes the biggest step of all. You take the risk and you obey. Now, what if you're wrong? What if you miss it? I found on the times that I've missed it, even that I think God says, well, you missed it on this one, David, but I really appreciate your willingness to obey and take a risk on what you thought I said. And I think that actually puts me in better position to hear um, uh, the next time around. So you may not get it perfectly, but you know, like Abraham, like Moses, like Mary, you may simply, when you hear the voice, you're going to have to respond, take a step in some way. And I wanted to close this morning and tell you just kind of one of the ways it works in my life. The last couple of weeks have been uh, uh, difficult for me um, uh, professionally in, in, a number, in a number of ways. You know, we finished like the first five months of the year and financially we're, uh, we're much further short than where I'm comfortable being. So I get that little voice in my head say, you know, you're not a good leader. It's all going to fall. It's going to crater. Um, and and kind of get that. that. That's a little troubling. There's some other things. And then on top of that, we get this whole, as you may have seen in the paper, seen online, the, the whole national Methodist uh, struggle that is um, uh, really intensified over the past few months. So much so that a group of uh, a, a very uh, wonderful and uh, caring evangelical pastors came out 
um, uh, last week, and they said, you know, the only answer when it comes to the debate over sexuality in the United Methodist Church is, is to split into two denominations depending on where you fall on that issue. And there are very well-meaning people that put forth this position who believe that they are being biblical. For reasons that I also think are biblical, I think they're off. And I, I think that God values unity among God's people. And that as sons and daughters, the spiritual authority to John Wesley and those who have brought us to this point is a very high value. And figuring out how to love, uh, love people is very significant. So I'm part of a group of people, uh, three bishops and eight pastors are going to meet in Dallas uh, this coming week to try to look at another way. The Methodists can kind of move out of the impasse but, but stay, um, stay united one with the other, and that's kind of a real struggle to figure out uh, how that might go. And, that, and so those things and others have just sort of weighed me down. Um, and it got to the point that Wednesday, uh, and I, I go to the prayer room uh, Wednesday morning, I just wrote the stuff that was weighing me down. Uh, and this, I got the example from Isaiah 37. And Isaiah, uh, the people that want to, uh, the evil Assyrians that want to conquer Jerusalem, they send a letter to the king and basically said, you know, God doesn't care about you. You're going to fall and you deserve to fall. And so, and so the king takes that letter, goes into the holiest place and just basically says, here, God, read this. And leaves it in God's hands to do it. Well, this wasn't from evil taunts, but I just listed and I just said, God, here, read this. That's the stuff where I need guidance. That's the stuff that's weighing me down. And that was Wednesday. Um, and the burden didn't really lighten throughout the rest of that day. But I just need to tell you about Thursday. A little bit before 7, um, my wife's getting ready to go to the hospital to work, and, and um, I'm still at the table sitting there. And I get a text. Somebody just said, I just want you to know that I'm praying for you today. Just kind of out of the blue. That was nice. So I showered, got dressed, and as I do on Thursday, I drove to Trinity Library. And, and while I'm on my way, apparently... I get an email because when I get in the parking lot, I look at my phone and there's an email from somebody that says, you know, I was praying for you today and then gave me some things that they'd received and some real encouragement. And I thought, well, that's nice. Five minutes later, I walk upstairs in the library and kind of sit down and open my stuff, get ready. There's another email that said, you know, I was praying for you today. It's from a different person and God gave me this picture. Uh, I'm just going to pass this picture on to you. It's a very accurate and yet encouraging picture. And so there's like three times, three people not coordinated together are all speaking to me. And I'm thinking, yeah, this is pretty good. So I, I get my stuff done Thursday morning and, and I'm going and I'm about to sit down and eat lunch. And there's another email that comes from a completely different person who rarely, if ever, emails me at all. Emails me and says, you know, I was praying for you this morning and I think God showed me that you were downcast about something. And I haven't seen this person in like three weeks. Uh, and I want you to test this, but this is what I thought God said and gave me um, uh, real significant encouragement. Now, I want to tell you two things about that. The first thing I want to tell you is I didn't get specific answers, actually, to any of this. Um, I think God, basically, through this encouragement, was telling me, you're in my backyard. You know, I've brought you to this point. Where you go forward will be, will be the right place. I trust you with this stuff. Um, but the more important thing was this, that I've been spending six weeks talking with you about listening to God, and I believe that's very important. But I'm afraid I've left you the impression that it's for you that you listen to God. When it is clear 
that had it not been for these four other people listening and praying to God on my behalf, I would not have received from God the encouragement that I needed to go forward today and in this week. I do believe that if you want to hear, God will speak and you will hear. But I also believe that it's probably not even mainly for you. Maybe God wants to speak to you to bless others and to help this hurting world.